Welcome to the Project Update Podcast. I'm Joe Simpson. And I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, Joe. How you doing? Good. This is a special out-of-time edition of Project Update uh, being recorded either before or far after next week or last week or whenever you're hearing this. Um, we haven't decided when this is being recorded yet, but we do know when it's being released. <laughs> so this episode is to basically give everyone something to listen to while Dave is attending FileMaker Developer Conference, the FileMaker Developer Conference, FileMaker DevCon. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going to be out there showing off FM comparison and FM perception and shaking down some FileMaker employees for some special access to that thing, BNF notation that we talked about last week. That was a week ago when we talked about that. Yes. Not not 45 minutes ago. Correct. But anyway, this episode is going to be an out-of-time episode where we basically talk about how we work in terms of in a more general standpoint rather than specific project um tentatively calling it working conditions but hopefully we'll come up with a better title but we wanted to just talk about you know dave and i have both been working for home from home for a long time and have tried different things that work and don't work so we have a short outline we're going to talk about computers locations time of day and then kind of phases of productivity so Let's start off with computers, and I think computers and locations tie in well together, mm-hmm. but uh, why don't you start with your computers and development environment? Mm-hmm. So I'm using a late 2015 5K iMac that I bought when it became apparent that my really old 17-inch MacBook Pro just couldn't handle Swift at the time. It was literally mm-hmm. purchased for doing FM perception because I just needed a much beefier machine to be able to handle the quantity of code and the quantity of data that I was working with as a development environment. But uh, yeah, and then it it kind of has two houses. Um, The first is in my kind of upstairs office, um, where it sits for six to eight months out of the year. And the other is in my living room, where there's another standing desk and uh, that's where it is during the summer. And the reason for that is the upstairs still has a whole server rack in it. And the heat output from that is very pleasant during the winter Mm -hmm. and very, very unpleasant during the summer. (laughs) It reaches about 90, 95 degrees up there on a hot day. And that's just an unpleasant coding environment. Yeah, I I found that I really need like seventy two to seventy four for cranking out code, and the upstairs can't maintain that. But the cool thing about the upstairs setup is that there are two additional twenty seven inch Apple Cinema displays on swing arms, uh, oriented in portrait mode, and so when you've got my whole setup put together it almost looks kind of like a a a, a, a tie fighter Mm -hmm. um yeah if a tie fighter was designed by a dork yes (laughs) yes but it's it's one wide landscape display in the middle and then two portrait portrait display on either side 
Um, and moving those things from their swing arm mounts is a real pain in the butt. So when I move the iMac downstairs for the summer, I just plug into another 27-inch cinema display that I've got <laughs> that's just sitting here. Um, when we shut down the old office, we had some extra 27-inch cinema displays. And um, yeah, I made use of them. I, I occasionally see those on sale for pretty cheap. Do you want me to pick you up a fourth one if I see one? Well, I mean, I don't know if I need more. But that way you could have the same setup upstairs and downstairs and not have to worry about the readjustment. I could, but honestly, at that point, I'd be tempted to buy another iMac. <laughs> <laughs> Just sync everything up and not have to worry about it at all. No, what you need is your desk to be on a little elevator. It could just go downstairs and upstairs. <laughs> well, of... technically the desk is on an elevator because it's a sit-stand mechanized desk. You need a really tall standing <laughs> desk. <laughs> There's also the fact that if I raised it up through this ceiling, it would be in a different room. Yeah. Which I could turn into an office. It would probably even be in more pleasant office because it wouldn't be in the same room with the server rack. But such is life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a, uh, what, 2016, 2017, 2017 mm-hmm. MacBook pro. Yep. Mid, okay. Mid, mid 2017 MacBook pro. Okay. I have a mid 2017 MacBook pro, um, <laughs> that, uh, I use basically when I'm mobile, um, but I don't really do a lot of development on it. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time developing on a screen that small. There's just, there's too many things that I need up on screen at once to code effectively to do it on a 15 inch display. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's just not enough room. Um, 16 meg, 16 gig of Ram on the laptop, 32 gig on the, um, on the iMac. And, uh, Yeah. One terabyte SSDs in both. Um, I love the iMac as a development display or machine. Mm-hmm. It's a great display too, but as a development machine, it's just fantastic. Um, lots and lots of power. Even now, I mean, this is a three and a half year old machine. Um, and there's honestly nothing else that I want to do with this machine that I can't do. I'll eventually have to upgrade, but... Mm-hmm. Um, or want to. I mean, there's still more power out there that I could get, but there isn't more power out there that I absolutely need. So yeah. if I if I buy an upgraded desktop, it will be an elective purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could basically upgrade to what I have with probably not that many tangible differences. Right. At least right off the bat. Speaking of which, what are you using? So I'm using the 2019 uh, 27-inch iMac, and it's got the souped-up i9 processor, so it's a little extra fast. It has a few extra cores, and uh, it's got 40 gigs of RAM in it. I bought the you know default 8 from Apple and got another 32 uh, from OWC, and I don't need much storage, so I just got 512 SSD in it. And 
other than that, it's pretty basic. Like I didn't upgrade the graphics because of the work I'm doing didn't really demand it. And it has an eight gigabyte graphics card as the default, which is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I had, when I started my business, I had become kind of enamored with the idea of working anywhere I want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had, I had a 20, or I had a, uh, I think a 2013 15-inch MacBook Pro at the time when I started. And I, you know, the first thing I did when I left my previous job was kind of minimize the amount of equipment it take to do my job and then basically work on the laptop all of the time. And that was definitely, like, I liked the idea of being able to just pick my laptop up and go into the living room and work or go to the coffee shop or for a while I was working in a co-working space. Sometimes I go to the library and all of that stuff is nice. But when I actually look at it objectively, the quantity and quality of the work I do outside of my office is pathetic. <laughs> like when I was at the co-working space, I could I could be, spend 30 hours in a week there and get about as much done as I can do in six hours at home in my office. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just not a good trade-off. So over the last couple of years, I spent a lot of time on laptops, and particularly when I tried to get into VR development. Um, at one point, I had a 27-inch iMac that I had been working on and doing uh, Swift development on. <clears throat> And when I got into VR, there just wasn't room enough on my desk for the PC and the iMac. So I decided to get the MacBook Pro back out and I sold the iMac to a friend. And for a while I had basically a Windows laptop for VR and a MacBook laptop for everything else. And juggling the two wasn't particularly pleasant. Um, eventually I got a, a different Windows laptop that I tried to make my main machine, but there was always just a couple things I couldn't do on it, like podcast recording or actually any user interface testing on Mac. So I, I kind of always had the two machines around. I eventually upgraded the laptop to the 2017 laptop that you have, which is why I know which one you have. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the one that I kind of hate, mainly because of the keyboard and the incredibly mm -hmm. low travel of it and just how painful it is to type on that. And I had used that right up until about a month ago when I got the iMac. And I spent most of the time the last couple of months using it in clamshell mode with a 24-inch a display and a nice keyboard and a mouse. And that helped a little bit, but I felt like I was just kind of burning through the MacBook. Like it was underpowered. It was working really hard all of the time to drive that display because the dedicated graphics had to be working the entire time that display was connected. Um, so it was like, you know, for six hours a day, the laptop is physically hot to the touch. Like this is probably not the most stable environment. So I sold that, a friend of mine sold that for me and got this instead. And it's been, you know, I, I put it to the test for the first time because I'm still running a consulting business. So I do still need to go someplace once in a while and you know do a server upgrade, have some meetings. But I decided to just use my iPad for stuff like that. 
and if I really need to, I can remote into the iMac to do something or grab somebody else's computer to make a quick change in FileMaker if I'm at somebody else's office. Um, but I had the first test of that recently where I went to one of my customers to do a FileMaker server upgrade and 99% of it was fine. There was a second where I needed to change a simple Boolean value in a PHP file to take the one of the sites out of maintenance mode and I couldn't do it in the web browser. <laughs> and, and I didn't have any way to FTP the file on my iPad. Like I, I know all that's possible. I just hadn't set any of that up. So I had to basically uh, use my my customer's FTP client to do that. And I was able to fix that. But like, it's just little edge cases like that. I need to spend a little bit more time setting up the iPad for those kind of contingency situations. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think overall, the iMac is a much more suitable machine to the type of work I'm doing and the ergonomics of it are, are way better. Um, so I guess we can kind of pivot into location and I'm so I'm using the iMac in my home office. It doesn't move because that would be awkward. And I've got relatively inexpensive sitting standing desk that I mostly use sitting. And I think for like meetings and podcast recordings, I put it in standing mode. Um, but I don't I don't write very good code standing up. I just don't. I will have, oh. a t- I have, a, I have a tendency that if I'm if I get stuck on a coding problem, I will walk away. And if I'm already standing, it's too easy. If I'm sitting, I'm too lazy to get up and walk away. So I just keep working on it. Huh. I uh, I find that I can write great code standing. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to step away for a second and come back really easily works for me. Um, I do find that if I want to sit, if I... If I inherent in the way I was describing it. If I want to sit down and like work with a notepad for a while and be away from the screen mm-hmm. for that, I sit down, mm-hmm. um, sit at a table or even sit on the couch. And I've got some ledger size clipboards that I can use to kind of spread out notebook paper and <clears throat> graph paper and draw little diagrams and things like that. And I've never found a good environment for doing that on the Mac, mm-hmm. like drawing on the Mac has never been great for me. Yeah. Um, sometimes I can get close with something like OmniGraffle where the um, the changes or, or, or the, the structure of it and the formalness of it is helpful and it keeps all the lines straight and things like that. But other than that, it doesn't make sense for me to work drawing diagrams, drawing freehand stuff. I do mind mapping and stuff like that when I'm brainstorming a product or a feature or something like that. All of that happens on notebook paper away from the computer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in terms of locations, I've got basically a small bedroom in my apartment that is my office. And I have a pretty minimal amount of stuff in here. Like, I don't really need much to do my job other than the computer. Um, You know, I occasionally scribble on paper, but not as often as you do. I don't know. For the most part, I'm kind of satisfied with what I have for once, which hasn't been the case over the last couple of years. 
but I use uh, currently a Logitech Craft keyboard that I really, really like, except for the fact that it has a number pad. I would love it if they made this exact same keyboard without that, but I'm probably going to end up buying like a 10 keyless mechanical keyboard instead. Um, the track, the uh, Magic Trackpad and the Logitech Trackball mouse, which is a weird looking thing, but a pretty good tool. And I, I definitely, I can use this. And this is kind of a, a side topic, but I, I think I figured out that I'm working on the right types of things because when I work on Xcode all day, I don't have too many issues with my hands. But last week I spent four hours redoing my website, working in Word, WordPress, and I almost killed my hand. <laughs> like just <laughs> too much emphasis on the mouse. Whereas Xcode seems to be the right split between, and yes, I'm using the mouse a lot, but I'm also typing a lot and I'm using the trackpad a lot. Like I'm not using any one device too much, which is a good balance. Like the other extreme of that was when I was trying to do 3D modeling. And that is like hand on the mouse the entire day without letting up. And it's just, that is the worst type of work for someone like me. Well, my current favorite mouse is my Logitech MX Ergo. Mm -hmm. It's just a pure trackball. Mm -hmm. um, I tried that one out year ago or so and have just it's it stole me away from my kensington turbo mouse um because i've just i've loved the kensington turbo mice or now the expert mice for a really long time but just some weird quality problems have crept up in the last decade mm -hmm. and <clears throat> slowly over time my desire to go no really this is the mouse i don't really need to look around all that much had faded so i started looking around and i like the mx ergo i like the little tilt capability to it that's nice uh the and then i've also got the uh magic trackpad but on the left side of the keyboard mm -hmm. me too <clears throat> so i mostly use that for scrolling honestly it's 2d scroll it's worth the money for me to just be able to do clean scrolling through web pages and things like that just from that mouse, but just because of how amazingly smooth that scrolling is. Hmm. Um, and then my keyboard is actually just a Apple. Um, I'm not sure exactly what model it is, but it's a Apple aluminum uh, extended keyboard. I like having the 10 key and it's wired. Yeah. So um, it's, if it's wired, then it's one generation back. And that's the one that I really liked. They have a 10 keyless version of that too, or mm -hmm. actually like the compact version of it, like a 60% version. But uh, those are the ones that I liked. I With my iMac came the new Magic Keyboard 2, which is okay, but it has pretty shallow travel. Like I used it most of the last week and it was just a little, a little rough, especially typing long paragraphs. Like I typed a couple of blog posts last week and I definitely felt it then. Um, but for the most part, it's fine. But the one before that, like the, the generation of switches that you have, that was very comfortable when I had one of those. In the same way that I've got a couple of extra Apple cinema displays floating around, I have a couple of extra Apple keyboards floating around as well. So <laughs> I'm good as far as keyboards go for probably at least the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, I won't have to substantively adapt. And honestly, the new ones don't bother me. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the new general ones. I don't like the ones on the laptop. Um, 
Yeah, back when we were talking about the computer hardware, I was actually thinking that even though my iMac or my MacBook is like two years more recent than my iMac, I'm probably more likely to update the laptop before I update the desktop. Yeah, just to get rid of that keyboard. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm hopefully done with laptops because they just, even keyboard aside, they're just not really good ergonomically. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to have desktop and a laptop if i don't need to yeah um i guess it's always possible i end up getting like a very small macbook air or something to to take with me to travel if the imac or if the uh, ipad doesn't work out but i don't know well the macbook pro would be financially viable for me even if i only used it one week a year Mm -hmm. um devcon is big enough for us as far as sales go that it makes sense for me to have a good solid demo machine yeah um the first year i tried demoing off of a mac mini and there were just some weird little complications and multi-display issues and things like that and it was just nope not doing this again get a macbook run with that yeah i wish they would make like a a mini mac mini the size of like an apple tv you could just plug it into an ipad it's just like a Mac accessory for those types of things. Hmm. Sounds neat. Mini I mini Mac Mini. Well, it would it would be the the Mac Nano. Yeah, the Mac Nano. <laughs> and then the Mac Shuffle. Which, you can only look at one file at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you shake the thing to look at a different file. Come yeah. on, Joe. Yeah. Just big enough for a USB jack. <laughs> And honestly, they can make it even smaller than that if they make it all wireless. Yeah. <clears throat> Whenever possible, I minimize the number of wireless devices that I have in use. Yeah. It's just battery failures and Bluetooth pairing and things like that. It's just if I have wired devices, like the the um, the Magic Touchpad that I have is technically wireless, but I have it wired at all times. It's never loses its pairing it never drops its battery it's perfect that way yeah i've got mostly wireless devices but i also have a recurring task every sunday morning to charge all of the the devices (laughs) see that only works because you're joe yeah but i you know the 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 reason i do that task is because i also change the batteries in my vr controllers so i never have weird interruptions like i had this weekend hmm um but yeah the uh let's talk about software then um i guess mine is it depends on what i'm working on like Mm -hmm. obviously i'm using xcode for all the swift stuff and all the ios stuff i use filemaker when i have to make a filemaker database uh currently kind of sticking with filemaker 17 because none of my customers are moving to 18 yet um I'm pretty conservative about updating, especially their servers. So most of my customers are in education. So we just now moved to version 17 mm-hmm. and it'll stay that way for another year. The next summer we'll look at moving to 18 and just be, the nature of their business and the timing of the updates. It would be nice if FileMaker released, you know, versions every January and then we could have that version that summer, but 
they release right at the beginning of the summer or end of the spring. It's just not quite stable enough for for production, particularly a production environment that has to be up without interruption until the following summer, which is an interesting constraint. I, I'm not sure that's a disadvantage, Joe. Yeah. Um, then in terms of web development, uh, Chrome is my browser of choice for the dev tools. And I use the Atom text editor. You and everyone else I know has tried to assimilate me into the VS Code Borg Collective. And mm -hmm. I have tried your nanobots and I have rejected them. <laughs> I, I don't recall it that way, but okay. Well, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Wiped that recollection. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I tried it. I just, for me, it... If I was working in web development a lot, then it would probably be worth the switch. But mm -hmm. it's I do just enough of it to not want to be annoyed about learning a new app. Like I just want to be able to open the thing, do the thing I came to do, and close the thing. And having a tool I'm already good at is good enough. It's a tool that's still being supported and developed. So mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that tool. It's it's commonly used. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's also why I use FileMaker for so many things that I could do elsewhere, like prototyping or the SF symbols picker <clears throat> that we talked about last week. Um, it's not that FileMaker is the best tool for those things. It's just that I know my way around it so quickly, then it would take me less time to do the thing in FileMaker than it would to learn the tool elsewhere. Like to learn right. my way around Adobe XD or something for prototyping, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what, what about you for, in terms of software? So my, it depends on the product that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. um, when I'm working on FM Perception, all of that code base is in Swift and C Sharp. And so when I'm working on the Mac version, I'm in Xcode. If I'm on the Windows version, I'm working in Visual Studio through Parallels. So even though you can write C-sharp code on the Mac, when I'm writing a dedicated Windows app, I'm in Windows while I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and so this machine isn't even set up to do bootcamp dual booting because I never need it. I just open windows in a window and run and it's great um that was one of the nicest things and part of the reason for getting this machine was i needed to be able to run windows faster for writing the windows version mm -hmm. um for fm comparison and the new stuff it's uh visual studio for mac and visual studio code for mac there's also Visual Studio for Windows and Visual Studio Code for Windows in parallels. Uh, but right now I'm writing it all on the Mac under the general assumption that it is possible to write C-sharp code on Windows that won't work on the Mac. But for the most part, because the Mac libraries are a subset of the full set of .NET, mm -hmm. that if I can write it on the Mac, it will work generally with tiny modifications moving over to Windows. Yeah. So there's move it over, do some testing, find the parts that don't work, figure out the common code that works between those two, and then migrate that through both platforms. 
Um, so yeah, so a lot of time there. And then, um, my text editor of choice when I'm outside of pure code editing is BB edit, mm-hmm. uh, primarily because I do a lot of work with large XML files. Um, Adam's a cool text editor, but you don't want to try and open a 500 megabyte text file. <laughs> Yeah. In it. Um, it will it will be very, 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 very slow to the point of unusability. Whereas BB Edit goes, let me think about that for a second. And then it brings it up and you can do text searching and things like that in a 500 megabyte text file. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't a lot of text editors on the planet that can do that. And the fact that BB Edit has basically been bulletproof for me for about 20 years. Yeah. They, they get my money. So, um, I'm running a whole slew of versions of FileMaker. <laughs> um, this machine actually has installed on it all the way back to 11. Um, just because periodically I need to pop something open and test stuff. I'm not 100% sure that 11 works on this machine anymore. Hmm. Between all the different operating system updates that I've done, I think I may have broken the install. Um, I'm not going to do it to find out right now. Yeah. And then um, periodically using uh, OmniGraffle for um, diagramming. I need to document some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omni Outliner for making punch lists. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think my, like, my most important piece of software is just the Apple Notes app in terms of like it's a free app i don't pay for it just works reliably and consistently Mm -hmm. and it's kind of my outboard brain like i use a task system for all the things to do at certain times but i use a note anytime i'm doing something even if it's like okay here's what i'm about to do and i write down a little checklist of things i want to do during that hour or two hour session and then i update that as i go and i write notes about it and if i run into issues i document them there and just a simple like i've tried other systems like you know jira or trello boards and stuff like that for those types of projects and just none of that works for me i just want a text document and you can do this in plain text too i like doing it in apple notes because you get a little bit of rich text without having too much rich text so Mm -hmm. i can have like some nice headers and um like a pre-formatted thing for code snippets and things like that but without actually getting all the way down to like a markdown editor with it it's too easy to get obsessed with what you're writing in rather than just writing the the thing but that's there's never a time when i my mac is powered on that i don't have the notes app running i think that's probably the only app that i use consistently across all the different types of work i do even looking at, at Apple Note right now for the show. So let's talk about time of day. So Dave and I are both really into nine to five working stiff schedules. Mm, no. <laughs> Not at all. Um, so I guess when I started out, like I've always been an early person and you know, when I was working at my last couple of jobs, I always got up in the morning early, way earlier than 
was reasonable so I could spend a couple of hours reading and having some coffee, maybe take a walk or walk to work. And when I started my own company and was working from home, I kept doing that for about a year. And then I think I kind of got the idea from Jason Snell on Free Agents podcast a couple of years ago. He talked about like, I'm at my best intellectually when I wake up. So I get up and I do work and I work for a couple hours and then I you know, take a shower, take a break, and then do some more work. And I was like, why, why am I not doing that? So I started working, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. every morning and just going straight to work. And I did that for the next three years. And I definitely had some good results with it at first. And I can get a lot of productive work done that way. But I'm not a happy person doing that. <laughs> and that's the, that's the part that really, the, the reason why I finally ended up putting a stop to it is like, I can do good work for a couple hours, but I'm just not overall as happy because I end up, you know, doing six or seven hours of work, being done at one, and then just kind of having like a meaningless 10 hours of the rest of the day. I'm like, I don't have a purpose in life. Now I'm done. <laughs> it's just <laughs> kind of depressing when you think about it that way. Yeah, I would advise not thinking about it that way, Joe. <laughs> so uh, the beginning of June, I kind of switched my schedule around. I started sleeping in until 6 a.m., which, <laughs> which is huge. And uh, now I get up in the morning and I work out. That's the first thing I do, work out for 20 minutes, you know, take a shower, maybe have a cup of coffee, go for a walk. Sometimes I stop at a coffee shop and then I sit at the park towards the end of my walk and kind of mentally organize my thoughts for the day and then use capsicum to kind of write out a quick punch list and then write out a couple paragraphs about what I want to accomplish. And I'm usually back at my desk by about 8.30 to start work. And something else that I had done during that time that I was working early in the morning, I had gotten to the point where like, I'm going to do all my hard work first and then all of the other stuff like checking email, handling support tickets, doing admin. I'm going to do all that at the end of the day. And that is a recipe for procrastination. Like if, if there's something that's not that important to be done at the end of the day, but should be done anyway, I just won't do it until tomorrow. And it's always until tomorrow, until there's mm -hmm. no more tomorrows for it to be done. But if I just come into the morning and knock a bunch of small things out and just kind of get them off of my plate, I find that to be much more productive for me. So I'm no longer like avoiding email while I'm working. I got, kind of like I got a little too into like working conditions like no i have to have my own perfect little environment and i'm going to work under these conditions and not under these conditions and like i've gotten much more lax with it the last couple of months where i just like you know working six hours a day broadly speaking and i start between eight in the morning and i work somewhere until five in the afternoon and somewhere in that period there's a six hours of work happening um but i'm not too fussy about that about when that happens and uh, yeah, so I'm still kind of a morning person, but kind of taking back the mornings for myself a little bit and just doing work during the day. Um, you have an interesting approach to times of day. <laughs> so 
to start with, I have never been a morning person mm-hmm. my entire life. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm happiest with like a noon wake up time. And it honestly doesn't really matter what time I went to bed. Like noon is a 1130 noon is about perfect for waking up mm-hmm. and then staying up until three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, <clears throat> the other weird thing is my sleep schedule seems to be largely built around a planet other than earth. Yeah. Seems to be built around a, a day night cycle of about 24 and a half to 25 hours. So what I end up doing is staying up just a little bit later each night and then sleeping in a little later each day until eventually I get around to the point where I'm waking up at about four or five o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. and and going to bed at, you know, 8 a.m. And then something will happen that forces me to stay up through or something like that. And then my sleep schedule will get back and I'll be awake at like... 6 a.m. and I'll feel really productive and everything's great and then the creep just starts again. Um, you, you really need that's... to do some sleep tracking for a couple months so we can actually chart this data out. <laughs> I bet it would be really interesting. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So, times of day. Um, so, I'm going to use the term morning loosely. Morning being that time after I woke up. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, I'm about useless for the first two hours that I'm conscious. Um, most times my brain is just not functional. Like it's, I used to never schedule client phone conferences within two hours of waking up. Yeah. It had to be two hours out because otherwise I was just, I was a little groggy. Words came a little slower. My brain was not cycling up. This is all the way back to, you know, my early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's only gotten worse with age, but it's not directly a function of age. Um, <clears throat> so, like, my day really starts two hours after I get up. That's when I can really get into accomplishing real things, doing some code, that kind of stuff. Um, and it's really a question of whether I hit it right then or whether my time from there for the next few hours gets sucked up by other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I effectively have kind of two possible working sessions. There's one in the morning and I'm making finger quotes. <laughs> and there's one in the evening, which oddly enough, in some cases ends up being the morning because it's after midnight. Um, <laughs> But if my morning gets filled with paperwork and bills and answering phone calls and doing support emails and things like that, then, you know, four or five hours into that, I end up taking a break. And the break's usually a few hours long. Um, Some food. I get, uh, what's the term, postprandial narcosis pretty badly. Hmm. You get the, the the food coma. Um, so I have to, if I really want to get stuff done in that second half, I need to be careful with what I'm eating. But, um, if everything works out right, you know, eat a little food, 
watch a TV show or read a book for a bit, whatever. There's a, you know, call it a, a conscious siesta sort of thing. And then I can get back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to dedicate one, it, like if I need to code, it really needs to be dedicated to one of those chunks. Um, I do the most code when I can get six to 10 hours straight. Yeah. Because there's just, there's the systems are too complicated. There's too much. I have to load into my head too much. I have to reorient my brain for, um, for making sure that I'm paying attention to all the things that I need to pay attention while I'm writing this. Yeah. Um, you know, my own dev standards, making sure I'm using enumerations properly and not, not coding things for the simplest way, but coding things for the most long-term maintainability and documentation and, and things like that. Like there is no effective two hour time slot. That's going to do that for me. Hmm. It's just, my brain does not work that way. And so optimally we get, six seven hours in that second chunk or potentially in the first chunk because that happens sometimes too you wake up you get right into it you code and 10 hours later my brain is shot (laughs) it's just done and that's when that second half of the day is just pure vegetation Mm -hmm. because my brain's not really useful for anything at that point um yeah the nasty part comes in when you had the stuff occupied the morning session, you had your break, you start coding in the second half, and then you get on a roll, and the second half goes for about 12 hours. Yeah. And at that point, that, I'm so mentally exhausted, I just lost the next day. Yeah. And that's when I get text messages along the lines of, so if hypothetically I were to have stayed up all night, what time would you want to record the podcast today? <laughs> on, on at least one occasion, I had been up for 18 to 20 hours by the time we started recording the podcast. Um, but I think it was only one of them. There's a couple other ones where I had to have an alarm set to properly wake up early enough to have my brain turned on by 11 a.m. Mm-hmm when we recorded um yeah so i mean i'm i'm it's weirdly kind of catches catch can for the most part it works fairly well for me i probably need to make it a little bit more formulaic for the next couple of months with the code that i want to write and the software that i want to release and stuff like that i kind of need to buckle down a little bit mm-hmm. um i mean i'm getting a lot done but I could be getting more done if I could get a good solid eight to 10 hours and then reproduce it every day for a week. Um, unfortunately, when I do that, everything else in my life falls apart. <laughs> yeah. There's that. Um, <clears throat> I am quite possibly the poster boy for lack of work-life balance. <laughs> um, and, you know, for the most part, I'm kind of okay with that. But yeah, I mean, you you more or less retired and then accidentally started another business, so not yeah. a lot of work life balance. No, 
but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's a little weird when you wake up at 5 p.m. and you're supposed to have dinner with friends. <laughs> and they're sitting around the table tired. And you're tired too, but for an entirely different reason. You just woke up. Yeah, can we get pancakes for dinner? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, gosh, it's just such a long day. I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, it's it's really bizarre, but I, it suits me in a weird way. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I do not advocate living your life this way for anybody else. Yeah. If if you are like me, you don't have a choice about it. <laughs> this is how you will end up. And if you are not, you couldn't be dragged kicking and screaming to this place. So. Yeah. So the only thing I miss about the early morning work was that I, I was able to do a bunch of work without any interruptions because I yeah. was always up before everybody else, not just in terms of development, which I did good work that way, but also uh, like activating new features, doing data migrations, doing server updates and migrations, like all that type of stuff that like this benefits from downtime. And if all of my customers for if all of my customers' customers are located in a place where it makes sense to shut the database down at 5 a.m., then I was in a good situation to do, to do that. Um, and I've even sold that a couple of times as part of the project. Like, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, one of these days, like, we need to find one more person that's working at the times that you and I are not working, and then we can do a game jam when one of us can be working on a game around the clock for a weekend or something, like take advantage of these three totally different schedules. Sounds like a plan. Doesn't have to be a game jam. Could be a FM comparison jam. (laughs) Compare a jam. Anyway. So the last topic is kind of phases of work. And so this is something that I've done over the years on and off, I've kind of gotten away from this, which I think is probably good, but there have definitely been times, um, random arrow is a good example, where I was basically doing code binges, where I would work, you know, I basically drew out a schedule of, I'm gonna get up at 5 a.m., work for three hours, take a break, work for three hours, take a break, work for three hours, take a break, and work for three hours and go to bed. So, and I did that for, usually three days in a row. So I'd get a, you know about 36 hours worth of work done in three days and then be completely exhausted and wiped out. But the amount of work that could fit in 36 hours was like three times as much because my brain was never moving mm-hmm. off of the topic onto something else. You never had to offload. Yeah. So I was able to do some really cool stuff that way. Um, random, random Arrow is a good example of that. Uh, one of the PHP apps I built, like basically no prior knowledge of PHP and then built an entire business database using PHP. Like that was responsible. I was able to do that because I did like four of those code binges over the course of six weeks. It's, mm-hmm. it's probably not a good thing to do to myself and I haven't done it in at least a year. But uh I don't know. Maybe I should do that a couple times in August to try to get caught up with my app because I don't really have much else going on. 
And yeah, like I haven't been doing it because my consulting business has been um, more in flux. Like I've had a lot more support requests the last couple of years. So it hasn't really been possible to do it, but I kind of have everything done for the summer. And if, I don't know, I have a couple quotes out to people about some website stuff. And if nobody says yes, then maybe I'll do a couple of those maybe this week and the next week. Because um, there was definitely, there's a lot of good that comes out of that type of work, even though it's kind of physically taxing and probably mentally, like, I, I, can't, I can't imagine what I'm actually doing to myself, <laughs> but fingers crossed, I'll be okay. Um, so there's those code binges, but there are also times when I'm just more productive in general because of environmental aspects. Like I, this is contradictory, but I get more work done in the winter because the weather is very pleasant and I like being outside and I spend more time outside. So I'm happier, but I also get more code done in the summer because the weather's outside is terrible and I'd rather be inside. So there's that. So spring and fall are a joke because <laughs> I don't know whether to be happy or sad. So I'm just like, well, these walks are really nice. And like, you know, kicking some leaves out in the fall, but like, you know, it's, I mean, I'm anticipating the good weather coming up in January and we're not quite there yet things like that but you know the last couple of weeks we've had a heat wave in the midwest and i have been in my office nearly all the time because i have ac but it's in my living room it's just like a, a box ac and in order to keep my entire apartment livable that room is very cold so i end up just spending more time in my office and if i'm in my office i'm gonna get some work done and then in the winter time i'm just like I don't know, it's just kind of a no-brainer to cozy up into the warmest room of my house, which is my office, and drink some tea and write some code. <clears throat> so talking about those code binges, I was noticing a pattern in yours that related to a pattern in mine. Because the the single, probably the single most productive period of code for me in my life was when I was writing FM Perception. Mm -hmm. And it was 12 to 16 hours a day, six to seven days a week for about three months. Hmm. Yeah. I never did anything like that. Like it was just, I, I couldn't stop myself. It was, I, I went, wow, this is a bad idea. Let's go write some more code. <laughs> and like the examples you were quoting, you're talking about places where you were exploring your way into new environments, new kinds of code, new APIs. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there's a pattern there that like when you're working on the new stuff, all your victories are small. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, I got this dot to appear there. <laughs> Success. That's all you needed. And you're not really spending a lot of time thinking about the whole overarching project. Because the project will take care of itself if you can solve all these little things. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all the little things that you need to do to do the big project. But <clears throat> you're not really spending huge amounts of time while you're writing the small stuff thinking about the larger architecture. 
Um, and I'm wondering if, Hey, I'm wondering if that's something that I can take advantage of. Yeah. Cause on the, well, on the one hand, figure like, out how to forget the parts that I don't need to worry about right now, because all I need to worry about is this one little thing. Yeah. Well, on the one hand, I think part of it is the new stuff is more intellectually interesting than like, okay. I would never do a code binge for a FileMaker project because I just one I don't need to. I can mm-hmm. I can do really great FileMaker work very easily. Like yeah. figuring out the business logic, the consulting aspect of my job is the hardest part, but the implementation is easy peasy. Um, so I wouldn't want to spend twelve hours a day doing FileMaker layouts. That would just be boring. But a totally new thing, like making an AR app or a VR app. Or maybe some of the, what I'm doing now could keep my attention in a more long-term way. I don't know. I, I I think one of the reasons that I probably won't go back to that type of work is just because of the physical nature of it. Like I just shouldn't be using a mouse and keyboard that long. Um, right. And I think the last couple of times I tried it, I remembered how badly that can hurt after so many hours. Yeah, and honestly, in FileMaker, each of your hours is just so productive that you don't need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas like what I'm doing now, like hopefully a year from now, I'll be able to do in a day what's taking me a week in Swift, especially mm-hmm. in Swift UI. But I'm currently at that, I have no idea what I'm doing phase of most of the stuff, like still figuring out the overall design patterns of how everything is built and works together. And it's one of my frustrations with Apple's documentation because like I don't speak whatever language they speak when they wrote that. <laughs> so I, you know, I think that was a good you know, special edition. Um, anything else you want to say about working conditions? I mean, I mentioned temperature. That yeah. one's, I mean, with the broken AC before and, and things like that, that was one that I was recently reminded of. Um, yeah. I, I do good work, highly caffeinated, but not too caffeinated. I like my caffeine. Unfortunately, it's got to be soda. Mm-hmm. So I consume an extra, you know, two or 3,000 calories a day that's just Soda. Oh God! Oh wow! That's crazy. <laughs> well, because I I can't drink coffee as a general rule of thumb, and uh, <laughs> diet soda is terrible for you. Tried so, caffeine I mean, pills? My God! <laughs> <clears throat> I did once. Tea? Wow. Tea? <laughs> I mean, you may even want to look into methamphetamines. It's probably safer oh. than that much sugar. Probably not. I mean, we already got enough addictions, man. I don't. I really don't need to be exploring for more. Um. So, yeah, yeah. I drink a fair bit of coffee. I'm actually trying to cut down on the coffee over the last three or four days, but yeah, it's fine. Um. Yeah. Food wise, I'm pretty boring with food. I tend to eat kind of the same things over and over again. I don't really like 
breakfast or lunch on work days. So I just have to like kind of make myself have enough calories so I don't have a low blood sugar attack. Right. But I, I enjoy food when it's like that's the thing I'm doing now. Like I can mm-hmm. make a big dinner or go out to dinner. I enjoy that type mm-hmm. of stuff. But I don't enjoy like the working on code, solving an interesting problem. Oh, wait, I have a grumbly tummy. I have to go make something. So I tend to like have a lot of easy stuff. Like I'll make a big something made out of rice dish and that's something that I can easily heat up for days like that or eat a lot of hummus and vegetables. Yeah. Because of the food coma aspect, managing my food intake during a development day is probably one of the biggest determiners of productivity I've got. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, if I can, keep from getting too much blood flow to my stomach i'm gold second i eat a bunch of carbs i'm toast yeah 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 i think that's all of us anyway Mm -hmm. i think that's our our special working conditions edition of project update we will be back next week with a regularly scheduled project update